Welcome to the Insurance Law Podcast, brought to you by Best Directory of Recommended Insurance Attorneys. Welcome to the Insurance Law Podcast, the broadcast about timely and important legal issues affecting the insurance industry. I'm John Zuba, editor of Best's Directory of Recommended Insurance Attorneys. Joining me is Brendan Noonan from our communications team. We're pleased to have with us this morning attorneys Jeannie Botkin and Jennifer Osborne from the law firm of Polsonelli, Shelton, Flanagan, Salthouse in Kansas City, Missouri, and Overland Park, Kansas. Both are partners in the firm serving as insurance regulatory attorneys. Jeannie Botkin's practice is devoted to insurance law with an emphasis on regulatory and compliance issues. As a past vice president of a managed care company, she developed extensive experience in the insurance industry and has been involved in all aspects of an insurer's operations. Jennifer Osborne handles insurance regulatory and compliance issues with a primary focus on health insurance matters. She is well-versed in state health insurance laws and regulations, as well as federal laws affecting the sale of health insurance. Thank you both for joining us this morning. Thank you. Today's discussion deals with a topical regulatory matter in health insurance. Insurers often issue group policies that cover risks in multiple states. State laws differ as to the regulation of and jurisdiction over insurers issuing these types of policies over the policies themselves. The NAIC adopted as a project the review of issues pertaining to state jurisdiction over extraterritorial health insurance business. One of the priorities of the Health Insurance and Managed Care Committee is to develop a white paper on state extraterritoriality best practices. As part of this process, a survey was composed and sent to state health insurance department representatives. This is a contentious topic of late, and Brendan leads off today with our first question. Jeannie, what is the impetus behind this movement, and why is this such a hot topic now? Well, let me start by saying that our comments are not intended and shouldn't be relied on to provide any legal advice for a specific factual situation. As we hope to make clear today, the issues that we're discussing are very complex, and for proper guidance, each individual situation would require a fact-intensive analysis. But as far as your question as to the impetus behind this movement, insurers have been issuing certificates of coverage off of group master policies issued in one state to individuals of other states for many, many years. For example, a health insurance policy may be issued to the American Bar Association for the purpose of providing coverage to its members, and then to provide that coverage, the certificates of insurance are issued to individual members who live across the country. The question comes up as to whether these certificates must follow the laws of the state in which the certificate is issued to the member or the state in which the policy was issued to the association. Another example is the situation in which a master policy is issued to a large employer in one state with certificates of insurance under that master policy issued to employees in other states. When the state in which the certificate is delivered asserts jurisdiction over that certificate, we often refer to this as the state asserting extraterritorial jurisdiction. Questions concerning which laws apply to these certificates have been around for a long time, and these kinds of issues cause insurers and insureds in multiple states a great deal of concern. Historically, many insurers issuing such group coverage have only complied with the laws where the master policies were issued. So, for example, if the master policy is issued to an association in New York, the policy and the certificates would follow New York's laws regardless of the laws in the states in which the individual certificates are actually issued. However, as you can imagine, many state legislatures and insurance departments have asserted their own jurisdiction over these certificates, and the NEIC has really touched upon this issue over the years from time to time. Most recently, at the 2007 Winter National Meeting, the Health Insurance and Managed Care Committee adopted as one of its projects for 2008 the review of extraterritorial issues. 
this committee formed the Jurisdictional and Extraterritorial Issues Subgroup and charged it with the development of a white paper on state extraterritoriality best practices. There are really several factors at play here which have caused this issue to once again rise to the forefront. One concern has been the treatment of employer-sponsored coverage, particularly when the policy is issued to an employer in one state with certificates issued to employees in other states. Another concern has been the regulation of managed care plans, which takes the form of utilization review requirements, grievance procedures, and other types of requirements. Also, there is the recent attention on the need for health care reform, which uh, we'll discuss a little bit later. And finally, there has been a strong push for the federal regulation of insurance by many different aspects of the industry. The NEIC is working towards uniformity among the various states' laws in order to deflect these calls for federal regulation. And we'll also touch upon this a little bit later in our discussion. Okay, Jennifer, can you talk a bit about how Missouri and Kansas handle extraterritorial issues as specific examples? Well, Kansas and Missouri actually handle extraterritorial issues quite differently, both in respect to taking jurisdiction over the forms and rates of the coverage, as well as how they deal with other types of laws, such as mandated benefits. For example, with respect to insurance policy forms, Kansas essentially requires every certificate issued to a person in the state to be filed for approval. They also require the filing of rates with respect to those out-of-state certificates under out-of-state policies. With respect to Missouri, it essentially requires only an informational filing of the forms under out-of-state policies and does not require the filing of rates. What Missouri does require, however, is that the group itself that coverage is being issued under qualify under Missouri law, not the state where the policy was issued, but under Missouri law as either a true or a discretionary group. And in order to determine whether or not it qualifies with the informational filing, an insurer essentially has to complete an affidavit saying who the group policyholder is in order for the Missouri Department to determine whether or not it qualifies as a proper type of group. Now, with respect to other types of laws, such as mandated benefits, Kansas also, again, asserts extraterritorial issues almost across the board. There are some state laws that specify that certificates under out-of-state coverage, that all these other types of laws apply to those particular certificates. And beyond that, the statute that grants the department authority to approve those certificates under out-of-state policies states that the department can disapprove it if it doesn't comply with certain portions of the insurance code. And the department has taken that position to state that essentially all those certificates have to comply with various Kansas laws. And with respect to Missouri, Missouri has a list of certain requirements that out-of-state forms have to comply with. Even though the department isn't going to be approving those forms, it still requires those forms to meet certain requirements, such as a few of the mandates that are required in Missouri, such as cancer screening, immunizations, anesthesia for children having dental work, as well as other types of laws, such as unfair trade practices, claims settlement laws, such as prompt pay laws, a few managed care type laws, such as utilization review, and then other laws such as the small employer laws or the discontinuance or replacement of policies. Now, essentially to sum up, Kansas 
asserts extraterritorial mostly across the board, whereas Missouri, it's a few types of laws here and there, and you don't have to get approval of your form. Hey, uh, Jeannie, what's a typical time frame for all of this to play out? Well, the Jurisdictional and Extraterritorial Issues subgroup was just created earlier this year, but since its creation, it's moved very quickly to create and send out a survey to the regulators in all 50 states to determine how out-of-state groups are regulated in each state. The survey results were due on April 7th, but results are still coming in, and approximately half of the states have responded at this point. The subgroup has already drafted an outline of the white paper that will be based in large part on the survey answers. Both the survey results and the draft outline were discussed during a conference called just last week on May 2nd, and the subgroup states that it intends to move really quickly with respect to a draft white paper to be released by May 15th and a final white paper to be completed by early fall. Okay, uh, Jennifer, are extraterritorial issues more of a concern in some states than in others? The concerns are across the board with respect to extraterritorial issues because those issues arise in every state. But as I discussed with Kansas and Missouri, states handle extraterritorial issues very differently, and therefore since it is harder to determine if some states apply their extraterritorial laws to certificates under out-of-state policies, there is more of a concern with respect to this issue in some states than others. For example, in some states, they define a policy as including a certificate, which makes it somewhat easier to determine that the laws do apply extraterritorially. In other states, they may have a very specific law that specifies which laws apply to those certificates and under what circumstances. Whereas in other states, it may depend upon the exact wording of each particular statute whether or not it's going to apply extraterritorially. Even where the laws are clear, there are still situations where the applicability can be unclear. For example, most states have a fairly standard type of provision that requires any group policy issued in the state to contain certain provisions, such as assignability and free look periods and incontestability, and generally those appear to apply only to the group policy, but then there's some argument that the state may want to apply those types of provisions to their resident certificate holders. In addition, you can have provisions such as replacement or discontinuation of the master policy, and it's somewhat unclear whether or not those are going to be applying to certificate holders in a, a given state because those types of provisions generally just apply to a master policy. And there's also concerns because some states do have large municipalities that cover two different states. And in, in those states, there's a particular concern with respect to employer-sponsored coverage because a master policy will be issued in one state and employees are going to be residing in other states. For example, there's the issue of, say, the master policy is issued in one state, such as Missouri, and it provides for certain benefits, such as pharmacy benefits through a mail-order pharmacy, where you get a discount if you purchase that way. However, some employees may reside in, say, Kansas, where there is a prohibition against providing any special deal for out-of-state mail-order pharmacies. So there's a attention to determine what state's law is going to apply. In addition, you have some concerns with respect to managed care laws, such as network adequacy, where, say, the master policy, again, is issued in Missouri, and it may require certain network adequacy requirements to be met, but which state's going to determine whether or not the network is sufficient in Kansas? And that is a concern with respect to those types of provisions. Finally, 
regardless of which state's laws are going to apply and whether how you interpret them, there's a lot of uncertainty in the area so that if one state determines that a law is going to be applied a certain way, it's always possible that a different administration in an insurance department could subsequently interpret it differently or that a court could come in and decide in a case that the laws are going to apply extraterritorially even if the insurance department has not been asserting extraterritorial jurisdiction. Okay, Jennifer, any comments on the actual survey that was sent out? Well, as Jeannie mentioned during uh, her opening comments, the survey in the white paper essentially arose from a concern about employer-sponsored coverage, and the survey itself tends to reflect that. While the survey stated that the insurance department representatives were to answer the questions with respect to whether the group master policyholder was an employer, a trust, or an association, so various other types of groups, the questions themselves all generally related to employer coverage, such as whether or not the state applied its laws to various types of provisions based on whether the insureds resided in a state but worked in another, or where the employer's place of business was located, or whether the employer had a branch office in the state. And those all apply to employer coverage, but not to other types of coverage, such as association group. Now, the NAAC subgroup that is addressing this white paper, they've mentioned that it may be too complex to deal with all types of groups in this white paper. However, some regulators have stated that you can't really address this without also dealing with associations because many times associations are formed of employers, so employers will actually purchase association group coverage or join the association to get coverage for the employees. So that is still an issue with respect to employer coverage. Now, another aspect of the survey is that it didn't address certain other types of laws, so it didn't ask state representatives about laws such as unfair trade practices, small employer laws, conversion and continuation requirements for policies, whether or not the dependent coverage requirements apply, underwriting requirements for policies, and whether the standard contract provisions are going to apply to certificates extraterritorially. And one final issue that the survey didn't touch was with respect to mandated offers, and those differ from mandated benefits in the sense that coverage is only required to be offered to a group as opposed to it's mandated in the, that the policy must contain that. And with an offer, the group could decline. And what is unclear under many state laws is whether or not the group master policyholder gets to decline that coverage or whether the individual certificate holder, the employee or association member, gets to decline the coverage. Now, I believe that the subgroup is going to be addressing many of these issues when they actually draft the white paper, so hopefully there will be guidance in these other areas that the survey didn't address. Okay, uh, Jeannie, are there any additional political pressures, uh, given that this is a presidential election year? Well, certainly there has been a great deal of political pressure placed on the insurance departments over the past years to become uniform in their regulation of the insurance industry. Federal legislators have criticized the state time after time for making it very difficult for national insurers to follow the different requirements of each state. And a very good example of this pressure can be found in federal action that was taken a few years ago when Congress threatened the states with federal regulation if the states didn't revise their producer licensing laws and make it easier for producers to work across state lines. 
This threat worked really well and prompted quick state action in order to avoid the threatened federal regulation. So this same pressure continues with the constant threat of a federal regulator over the insurance departments if the states don't become more uniform in their laws. And as far as the presidential election, well, we've all seen there's a great deal of focus on how to control health care costs, and certainly the lack of uniformity in the laws that apply to group health insurance are a huge factor in these costs. Okay, thanks very much for joining us today. Greatly appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. We were happy to participate. Okay, we've just spoken with Jeannie Bodkin and Jennifer Osborne from the law firm of Polsonelli, Shelton, Flanagan, Salthouse in Kansas City, Missouri, and Overland Park, Kansas. Special thanks to Brendan Noonan from our communications team and to our producer, Brian Cohen. And thank you all for joining us for the Insurance Law Podcast. To subscribe to this audio program, visit podcast.insuranceattorneysearch.com or go to online directories such as iTunes or Google or Yahoo's podcast directory. If you have any questions or suggestions for a future topic regarding an insurance law case or issue, please email us at lawpodcast.ams.com. I'm John Zuba, joined by Brendan Noonan, and now this message. Best's directory of recommended insurance attorneys is used by decision makers at insurance companies responsible for selecting legal counsel and representation. The printed directory is distributed annually to insurance companies, non-insurance companies, third-party administrators, and corporate counsel around the world, and the online edition is accessible throughout the year. Your listing in Best's directory of recommended insurance attorneys is the most effective way to ensure that thousands of potential clients have access to your outstanding credentials. Here's why you should be listed in the number one insurance attorney reference. Your firm's credentials will be listed in our comprehensive reference guide, which is made available to thousands of insurance professionals globally, both in print and online. AMBES listees are recognized as the most qualified in their field to represent the unique needs of insurance companies. Key decision makers rely on the directory to take the guesswork out of their selection process. They know that only the best are listed, those firms with a proven track record of excellence who are recommended by their insurance industry clients. And remember, one low rate guarantees year long visibility for your firm. We invite you to use our web application process to apply for a listing today. With our reasonable rates and broad exposure, there's no more effective way to get the attention of the insurance industry. For more information about Best's Directory of Recommended Insurance Attorneys, visit www.insuranceattorneysearch.com. 